appreciate that so very, very much. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel in chapter number 22. We took our text last Sunday morning from 1 Samuel in chapter 20, in the 18th verse, which said, Thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. Now we're in uh, chapter number 23, and we'll read just the first two verses of the chapter and jump right into the message. And uh, good, good time in the Lord this morning already, and I thank the Lord for it. I have, I believe, something that will help you this morning. I believe the Lord gave it to me for this service. This week He gave it to me, and I want to help you. Our text is taken from 1 Samuel 22. Rather than stand and read this text together, I want to just read it and pray and jump into the message. Follow along with me. Verse 1, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with them about 400 men. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, the fruit of injustice. The fruit of injustice, being mistreated, being treated unfairly, if you will. What can come of that? What should come of that? I want to speak to you at that end this morning. Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what the folks need, Lord. I, I don't know. You know. But I know your spirit dwells in me and in God's people that are gathered. And I know you have something for everyone in this room today. And so I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, through me as I speak, and these as they hear, that you'll communicate your truth and help us to understand, perhaps even better, Lord, the purpose of some of our, uh, some of our suffering, some of our injustice and being poorly treated, Help us to see it from God's perspective today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you recall from last Sunday, we left off in chapter number 20 with Jonathan and David's conversation about the fact that Saul, Jonathan's dad, wanted to kill David. Jonathan and David are bosom friends. Jonathan had a great love for David. And Jonathan's father is Saul, King Saul. And at this setting, uh, Saul is is uh, fifty. Saul is fifty years older than David, and uh, and uh, 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 I think uh, twenty two years. Jonathan is twenty two years older uh, than, um, excuse me, uh, thirty eight years older than uh, than David, and uh, and so uh, uh, here's David, still just a young man, about twenty years of age. Uh, Saul is uh, 70 uh, years of age and uh, Jonathan uh, 58 years of age at this setting. And uh, Jonathan, the Bible said, loved David as his own soul. If you remember from last week's message, Jonathan and David loved each other, but the initiated in Jonathan's heart and he loved David and he saw right away after David came back as still just a teenage lad and had just killed Goliath and he came back and gave him his sword and Gave him his royal garment as if to say, I know God's hand is on your life already. And of course, uh, it was, we don't know how far the news had gotten out, but we do know that Jesse's household, all of them knew that a few years before this, Samuel had anointed, the prophet Samuel had anointed at the Lord's direction, young David to be the next king. And uh, perhaps Jonathan by this time had caught wind of that or 
We don't know that, but we do know that Jonathan acquiesced to that and he saw for himself God's hand upon David's life and he loved David. And uh, we find a, a, a heartbreaking story in this chapter that follows uh, in the chapter 20. Uh, the uh, uh, is where uh, Jonathan David made the agreement. David said, look, your dad's trying to kill me, Jonathan defends his father. He said, no, I've talked to him. and he, He's, he's not going to kill you, David. Don't, don't worry. And David said, let me tell you, there's a step between me and death. And he said, I, if I go to the feast, your dad surely is going to have me killed. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and hide and, and then you, I need to find out what your dad's reaction is when I don't show up for the feast. And so they had, uh, they talked about it and Jonathan said, I tell you what, we'll wait and see how dad responds and if he's infuriated and angry and it's obvious and you need to flee for your life because your, your life is at risk, then I'll come out and I'll have one of my servants with me and I'll, I'll just practice my archery and I'll shoot my arrows. And if I shoot far, far away and, and, and tell the young man to retrieve my arrows, it's, it's, it's on further away. He said, then you'll know that you need to flee for your life. If I shoot them close, then you'll know it's safe to come home. And sure enough, uh, when uh, when when. Saul, two days he let go by before he questions uh, Jonathan. He said, where's David? How come he's not at the feast? David had a place at the table. He was missed. And Jonathan said, well, he asked if he could feast with his family on this special occasion. His family was gathering, and Saul went into a rage so much so that he tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. He threw a spear at his own son, Jonathan, and tried to kill him. Saul was so enraged. From there, uh, Jonathan knew that David, surely David was, uh, uh, his life was in danger. And so he went out and they did as they planned. He shot the arrows and the young man went out and he shot one way over the boy's head. And, and he said, the arrow's further on down, go find it. And finally the young lad got the arrows together and he sent him on back. And Jonathan waited till he was alone and David came out from hiding. And it's beautiful language, look at it. Verse 41 of chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 41 And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another. That was a typical uh, greeting in that culture, much like in some cultures today. And wept one with another. And look at this phrase, until David exceeded. Keep in mind, David is still a young man. He's probably 20 years old. David has been uh, anointed to be king. He knows he has a destiny. But he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't vie for that position. He's not asking for it. He knows it's going to be thrust upon him and it's part of his future. And as a result, that, that alone would put your life in danger. When the sitting king, if the sitting king were to find out that someone else of a different family has been anointed by the prophet to be king. That put David's life in danger in itself. And David is a, is a, a skilled young man, cunning and playing the harp, the Bible said. Uh, he was a goodly man. He was a quality young man that walked with God. God was with him. He's been called to the palace to play his harp for King Saul, who's tormented by this evil spirit. Saul becomes jealous of him over the songs that are written about him because of his, 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 his feats of battle against the Philistines and slaying of, of the giant Goliath. 
And this man, 50 years his senior, can you imagine a 70-year-old man uh, filled with envy uh, uh, against a 20-year-old boy? And, and, and that's the situation here. And, and, and so David is in a precarious place. He knows God's got a destiny for him. But the, but the king is enraged against him. On more than one occasion, the king has already tried to kill David himself with his own spear. David uh, 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 is, has been loyal, nothing but loyal to King Saul. And here uh, uh, David is, is uh, the king wants him dead. The king wants to kill him. David's in an awkward position. The, the last time that he's called to the palace, the Bible said, Saul, Saul said, I'm not letting you go back. You're, you, he, he put him into service in the palace. And, and now then... Uh, he is, uh, 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 he's married into the family. He's married one of the, the king's daughters. And he's tied up with Saul. And Saul wants to kill him. And, and David is now realizes he has to flee for his life. He has to leave his home. He has to leave his family. He has to leave his position in the kingdom. And, and he has to leave his friend. And I believe that Jonathan and David thought very, very much about the possibility that this would be the last time they would see each other. David has to go into hiding. He, from this point on, he's a fugitive uh, 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 of the law, if you will. King Saul wants him dead, and now he's hiding. He's running for his life. And the Bible said the last three words of verse 41, and they wept one with another until David exceeded. I think probably this was a breaking point for this 20-year-old young man. So much was upon him, the, the weight of his destiny and his future, the responsibility that weighed on his mind and heart, the threats against his life, the departure uh, uh, from, his, from his true bosom friend, a man who had been a mentor to him and a, a friend to him, an older man, Jonathan. A lot of times we think of Jonathan David as the same age, age bracket, but, but not at all. Uh, he was a much older man, but he loved him as his own soul, the Bible said. And, and David here, he just broke. He broke and wept uncontrollably. Perhaps the last time he would see Jonathan. In chapter 21, we find the first place he goes is to a, a priest by the name of Abimelech. And Abimelech is, uh, is a, uh, excuse me, Himelech is a little suspicious. He said, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm on the king's business. It's top secret. He said, I had to leave so fast. I don't have a weapon. I don't have anything to eat. Do you have uh, some food for me? He said, well, I've got bread that's been dedicated to the Lord, but I, you can have that, I suppose. He said, what about a weapon? He said, well, we... I don't have any weapons here, but I've got the on display. We've got the, uh, the, the, the sword of Goliath. He said, I'll take that. And uh, David lied to the, to, to the priest, and, and, and sadly, uh, those men were slaughtered later when King Saul found out about it. We get down to verse number 10. The Bible says in chapter 21, verse number 10, And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. These are Philistines. This is where Goliath is from. Not a friendly town to David. Verse 11, And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? People are starting to chatter. Someone says, I think I recognize him. That looks like David. I, I saw him one time in battle. I'm almost certain that's him. That's they wrote songs. That's the guy they wrote songs about, about killing ten thousands of us, the Philistines. And the Bible said in verse number twelve, and David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them 
and feigned himself mad in their hands. He acted like a crazy man. And scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see, this the man is mad, he's crazy. Where then have you brought him to me? Have I need of a mad of mad men that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David just narrowly escapes with his life here. He has nowhere to go. Anywhere he goes in his own land, in his own kingdom, people are going to recognize him, they're going to know him, and it won't be long until the authorities are on his heels. So he has to flee. He flees, and on his way out, he sees a priest enough to, long enough to get a weapon. Of all things, the, the sword of, of Goliath. Can you imagine riding into Gath with the sword of Goliath strapped to your horse, trying to be incognito? David has nowhere to go. Somebody recognizes him and goes and tells the king. And David, God gave him wisdom on this point. He started acting like a madman. Scratching on the door. Spit coming down. And the king said, what do I don't need? That guy's crazy. What are you guys talking about? That's not David. Get that guy out of here. And he narrowly escapes with his life. Then our text, chapter 22. And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. Where does David go? He flees. He has nowhere to go. He goes into hiding. No way to sustain himself. No way to, no way to feed himself. Perhaps there was access to water. We don't know. But he goes and he hides in a cave for his life. But look what happens. And when his brethren... And all his father's house heard it. They went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Now, wait a minute. Who was the first to come to him in this cave? Remember, David is a fugitive. David's is a, there's a there's a bounty on his life. He's slated for execution. The king wants him dead. And David tries to flee. He flees to a priest and and causes the demise of the priest and the men there. And then he flees to Gath. Nowhere else to go. He goes to Gath. His life's immediately in danger. Acts like a crazy man, and God spares his life. And so he goes alone to a cave of Adullam. And somehow word spreads back to Israel. And guess who the first people to come to him are? His brothers. The only record that we have of his brothers and his interaction with their brothers is from about two years before this. If you remember, David was still at home and he was, he was, uh, he was keeping the sheep and 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 uh, his father said, David, I want you to go down to the battle that they were pitched against the Philistines on the opposite sides of a valley, and the, the giant Goliath of the Philistines was was issuing this challenge to the nation of Israel. And Jesse told David, he said, David, I want you to take some cheese and some bread and things down to your brother. Go down to the battle and see how your brothers are doing and take take some nourishment to them. And so David got a keeper for the sheep and took care of business at home and he loaded up the, the goods and went down to the battle. And he got down there and he took the bread and the cheese and so forth to his family. 
While he's there, Goliath comes out and starts issuing his challenging, cursing and blaspheming the God of Israel. This 18-year-old boy, 17, 18-year-old boy said, who is that? Who is that? Why is it? Why are we letting that man talk about our God this way? And he says, this is not right. And word gets to his older brother. In fact, if you go back, if you go back to chapter 17, look at it. We can go back to chapter 17, verse number 28. Eliab is his oldest brother. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. And, and Eliab, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou down hither? What are you doing down here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? He questions him. He belittles him. Those few sheep in the wilderness. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. He judged him. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. He makes an accusation against him. And David said those famous words, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Now, let me tell you something. I think Eliab is holding a grudge from about two years before this, when David was probably around 15 years of age, when the man of God, Samuel, showed up in his house and told his father, Jesse, he said, God's told me to come down here and anoint one of your sons to be king. Go get all your sons and bring them in. All the sons come in. They're standing there, the oldest to the youngest. And Samuel has his horn of oil. He's ready to obey the Lord's command. And Eliab, the oldest, kneels down in front of him, the natural choice. I mean, he's the oldest, and he's, they need a king, and Jesse's, one of Jesse's sons is going to be king. Eliab kneels down before him, and he begins to pour the oil on his, goes to pour the oil on his head, and the, the Lord said, that's not him. And Samuel's communicating with the Lord in his heart and soul, and God said, don't, don't look on his outward appearance. I know he's tall, I know he's strong and all that. He said, but don't look, look on the heart. And Samuel turned to Jesse and said, Jesse, I'm sorry, but it's, it's not this son. Now, let me tell you something. That had to sting. Eliab full well expected that he was going to be anointed the next king. And just as soon as he thought he was going to be king, he found out he wasn't going to be king. And it stuck in his crawl. Then comes the next son, then the next, then the next. Seven times. David had seven older brothers. Every single one of them were rejected. And Samuel gets to the end. He said, God, I don't understand. I know you sent me here to anoint one of Jesse's sons, and you're telling me none of them are to be anointed? And he looked at Jesse. He said, I don't understand. He said, you don't have another son by chance, do you? And he said, well, actually, I got one. He's the youngest, and he's out keeping the sheep. He said, go get him, and nobody sits down until he's in the, in the room. Everybody, servants, dad, brothers, everybody, the entire house stayed on their feet until someone ran out there and found David in the field and said, come quick, the man of God's here and we need you. Can you imagine when David walked in and there's the man of God and everybody in the house is standing and all these eyes are on him. Can you imagine some of you felt like that when you went to the principal's office, right? And, uh, and uh, uh, what, what have I done this time? And the man of God said, kneel down, son. And he anointed him to be king. Let me tell you something. That's why I believe with all my heart. That's why Eliab was smart aleck to David when he came just doing dad's bidding and came to be a blessing to him, brought him something to eat at the battle, and and, and he smarted off to him. 
And you know what? The truth is this, David, as far as his older brothers were concerned, they didn't think much of him. His own father didn't even bring him in. He said, go get all your sons. Well, no need to get David because we all know it's not going to be David. And yet he was God's man. Now, here's the message. Don't miss this. When David, David goes, David gets... David goes to the palace. That had to rub. That had to rub. He plays the harp. And, and the king needs somebody to help him with this torment. Uh, the evil spirits are tormented. And so David gets called to the palace. I'm sure that's a rub for Eliab and the rest of them. <laughs> the Bible says Saul loved David. Now he's a, one of the king's favorites. That's a rub. But now then, Saul's turned against David. Now then, Saul's trying to kill David. Now then, Saul's hunting David down. Now then, Saul uh, has no place to go. Now then, Saul barely escapes with his life from Gath. And now Saul is alone in a cave. And who's the first ones to show up? His brothers. Now listen to me. This is what I issued to you this morning. Don't miss this. David's anointing by the man of God. David's, he was a goodly person, the Bible says. His skill with a slingshot. His slaying of Goliath. His being called to serve in the court of King Saul. None of that won the confidence of his brothers. He was not, listen to me, it was not until they saw the way he was mistreated did he win their confidence. And the first ones to come to him in that cave were his brothers. Who came right after him? His father's house. Who's that? That's his extended family. That's his uncles and cousins. They too came after they saw injustice in David's life. David, listen, they, 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 they had beef with David. His brothers, they, they, did it, they, they, were, they were peeved at David, if you will. But they said, no, he doesn't deserve that. And they watched David. They watched David as the object of Saul's jealousy. And they watched that David did not defend himself. And they watched David and they knew David's spirit. And they find out he's all alone. They're hunting him down. And they say, you know what? Listen, yeah, you know, he gets on my nerves. But you know what? He doesn't deserve that. And they go down to help him. And then comes his father's household. That's his uncles and his cousins. That's Joab, the, the, who will one day be the captain of his host. That's Abishai, his cousin, who would kill Ishbibanab, the son of the giant Goliath, and kill, uh, on another occasion, a 300 with a spear, and one that would go get the water from the well in Bethlehem. These men would gather to him. His extended family became the leadership of the kingdom that is to come. Then follow behind them in chapter 22, verse 2. And everyone that was in distress. (laughs) And and everyone that was in debt. And everyone that was discontented. How many of you say, man, I fit good in that crowd right there. Gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them. Can I tell you something? First, he won the confidence of his immediate family. Then he won the confidence of his extended family. Then he won the confidence of outcasts. Can I tell you something? It wasn't until David was mistreated. It wasn't until David had suffered injustice and people watched him while he suffered injustice and they knew that what he was getting he didn't deserve. They watched him in that critical time in his life and that's when they cast their lot with him and that's when they gave him their, his, uh, their loyalty and that's when they said, David, we're behind you, we're for you. 
Can I tell you something, my dear friend? Listen, you and I are not proven when the bed is made of roses. You and I are proven when the bed is made of thorns, when the way is is, uh, is uh, hindered, when the way is hard, when the heat is hot. That's when we are proven. David's character shone through because of injustice. He became a friend to outcasts. Why? Because he himself was an outcast. And these other men said, man, David's, David's hiding out. Well, we ought to go down there and help him because we know where the good hideouts are. We know what it is to run from the law. We better go help him. And David became a man who helped the outcast. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, was called a friend of sinners. One of his most loyal followers, Mary Magdalene, once had seven devils. He healed a man in Gadara, a maniac. And, and Jesus Christ ministered to the outcast. Why? Because he himself was an outcast. In Mark 3.21, his own family said he's beside himself. In John 7, 5, his brethren did not believe in him, the Bible said. Jesus was once rejected by his own family. His own family said, he's crazy, he's lost his mind. They did not believe him to be the Son of God. Oh, but there came a time uh, when his brethren, uh, when his blood, f- flesh and blood would believe in him. And they watched him go through the crucifixion. And they saw that he rose from the dead. They watched the way he was concerned about mama there as he was dying on the cross. And they, in the end, they cast their lot with him. And they served him faithfully unto death. Oh, listen, my dear friend, it's in the injustice. It's when things aren't going well. It's when you're mistreated. That's when your faith in Christ is proven to be genuine. The men that have stood in this pulpit and give their testimony, men like Carl Hatch and Dr. Tom Williams. Carl Hatch was a drunk at 16. 16 years of age, a hardened drunkard. He got married young and told his wife, Ruby, from a call from a bar in Detroit, Michigan. He said, I'm coming home to kill you. He had done many awful things. And she knew he was capable of doing it. She goes, why, why, why? Why? He said, I'm coming home to kill you. Why? Because I've done every wicked thing a man could do except murder, and I'm coming home to commit murder. He stepped out of that bar in Detroit, Michigan. His feet went out from under him on an icy sidewalk, and he smacked his head on the curb and lay there most of the night until someone finally dragged him inside. He would have frozen to death that night. Moved in next door to a Baptist preacher who told him about the love of Christ over and over again until he got born again and became one of the greatest soul winners I ever knew in my life. Who was Carl Hatch? He's an outcast. Ah, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ went to a cross of Calvary. He was rejected. The mob, a mob said, crucify him, crucify him. And, and, and he was rejected of men, despised of men and rejected. And he went to an old rugged cross for you and I. Hey, let me tell you something. Hey. Jesus uh, Jesus knows what it is to be an outcast. He knows what it is to be outside the camp. He knows what it is to be unpopular. Oh, listen, my dear friend, David, because of injustice, David, because of injustice, won the confidence of his family, won the confidence of his extended family, won the confidence of his outcasts. Let me ask you a question. How do you do when you're mistreated? How do you do when you're mistreated? Maybe... God is doing something in your life like he did in David's life. Can he give you these thoughts? God uses injustice to prove us, to test us. 
He said in Job, in 3, in verse number 15, Job lost his ten children in one day. Uh, lost all of his business enterprises. Uh, lost all of his, uh, his, his animals. He lost uh, had a very wealthy man, greatest man in the East. And to the point where his own wife said, Curse God and die. And Job's response was this, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He was proven in a time of injustice. If you ever looked at someone's life and said, That's not fair. That's not right. That's a good man. Why is he going, why is he going through that? We would look at Job. And yet through injustice, God tested Job and he came forth as gold. God uses injustice to prune us. I think that's what he did in Joseph's life. Joseph had an attitude, I think, when he told his dreams. It seems like he did it with glee. He told his brothers his dreams and told them again. Each time they said, shut up, you little brother. His own dad rebuked him for it. But God uses injustice to prune us. God uses injustice, mistreatment uh, uh, to, to shave away uh, 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 what does not need to be there. I think probably David's just a young man. It's hard for us to think of him this way, but David's just a young man, and, and he tasted a lot of success as a young man. And there was some pruning that had to happen. God had to have a man who could stand the heat, a man who could go through the fire. And David, as a young man, God's putting him through the fire and allowing King Saul to mistreat him and injustice to come into his life. Why? i tell you why. I think God is shaving off some edges on David. God uses injustice to prepare us, to get us ready. God has already told David, you're going to be a king, but David, you're not ready. You're going to need some help. You're going to need a captain of the host by the name of Joab. You're going to need a trusted man uh, uh, by the name uh, uh, of Abishai and many, many others. You're going to need some mighty men to defend you and help you. And God uses injustice to prepare us. That's what God is doing in David's life. It's what he did in Jephthah's life. When he was outcast by his brothers, God was preparing him to be a judge. That's what he did in Leah's life uh, when she was uh, 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 betrayed by her own father, if you could think of it, on her sister's wedding night, betrayed by her own father and set her up for a miserable life uh, of always feeling like a second-class citizen. But God used that in her life. And Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah came not forth from Rachel, but from Leah. I think about Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, who craved to have a son. and was misunderstood by Eli, who rebuked her. She prayed with such earnestness. I said she moved her mouth, but her voice couldn't be heard. And Eli said, woman, you're drunk. What are you doing here at the house of God drunk like that? She said, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I just want a son. And God's spirit spoke to Eli. He said, I'm going to give her that request. He looked there and he said, this time next year you're going to have a son. Who was that son? Samuel. The last of the judges. The only man to serve in three offices. Prophet, priest, and judge. And God uniquely used Samuel at a crucial time in the nation's uh, uh, history. Why? Uh, the, the nation needed a Samuel. Uh, from whence came uh, Samuel? He came from a mother who suffered injustice. From a mother who went through the fire. God uses injustice to prove us, prune us, prepare us. And lastly, to promote us. God had a purpose for David's life, to be a king. God said, David, I've got to get you ready. I've got to get you ready. And that means being able to relate to the outcasts. And that means being able to endure injustice and not lose your faith and confidence in me. Sometime go through the book of Psalms and read the cave Psalms. 
such as Psalm 34 and Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. What did David do when he got in that cave in Adullam? Did he sit down in the molly grubs and, and become depressed? What did David do? He sat down and took pen in hand. And you can go back and you can read those psalms. And he communed with God. He had poured out his heart and his anguish of heart and soul to God, yes. But he penned those beautiful words that we still use today and quote and sing today. And God used that time to prepare David to get his heart what it needed to be so that he could promote David and make him the king upon whose throne one day Jesus Christ himself will come and rule and reign for a thousand years. God uses injustice to promote us. Genesis 50, verse number 20, that classic verse at the end of the book of Genesis when Joseph's brothers come after their father's death and say, okay, please don't kill us. They believed that Joseph had spared their lives because of their betrayal so many years ago because out of respect for father. But now dad is dead and they come and they fall down to Joseph, please don't have us killed. And Joseph said, no, 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 come here, stand up. He took them, he braced them and he wept on their shoulders. He said, men, listen, brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. God used the injustice, years of injustice, 13 years of injustice from age 17 to age 30 as a slave or imprisoned to prepare him to be right hand to the Pharaoh. He said, preacher, I've been mistreated. That's not right. What they said was not right. What they did was not right. Do you know, do you know, that's, that, that, that wasn't my fault. That should never have happened. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that to me. What's God doing? Is he dead? Is he asleep? Is he aloof? Is he unaware? Oh, no. How many of you are a child of God? Say amen. God's aware. What's he doing? Maybe he's testing you. Psalm 26, 2 and Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, both of those verses say God brought them to a place of testing to see what was in their heart. Maybe he's pruning you. Maybe he's trying to peel away some things that would hinder you. Maybe he's preparing you for something greater in your life. Maybe He wants to promote you and use you as he used David. Would you bow your heads for just a moment if you would? Peter wrote about our Christ, that when he was reviled, he reviled not again.